This week's episode is brought to you by HumanGo, Super League Triathlon's official AI coaching partner. HumanGo is a unique training platform that will improve athletic motivation and performance because it understands how we train and why we train. Hugo, their AI assistant, understands your goals and changing commitments to continuously build an adaptive training plan with regular guidance for athletes of all levels. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Short Shoot Show presented by Super League Triathlon. And gee, haven't we got a lot back uh, to look back on after the arena games in Singapore? We've all just stopped sweating from that. Uh, and I welcome, well, we're missing Tim Don. We'll talk to him later on. He's over in the US having been at the Ironman World Champs. But we do have Chris McCormack, who is in Poland right now, and Annie Emerson, who is at home having got a lovely new paint job in her spare room. Looks beautiful, Annie. Congratulations. Mm. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Will. Yeah, it was it was quite it was quite risky, wasn't it? I've got deep blue, deep blue, gone away mm. from the greys. We've confused all the people that are listening to this but not watching the YouTube version. But you can catch it at superleaguetriathlon.com if you're if you're desperate to see the colour of Annie's spare room. Um, but of course, as always, the Short Shoot Show brought to you by HumanGo.ai, a unique platform designed to improve athletic motivation and performance. And I can tell you that's two things which I need a lot of. So we're going to look back at the Arena Games. And then, of course, after that, uh, just only over the weekend, just gone, was the first uh, WTCS race in Yokohama. Uh, first win for a European woman there in a decade in Georgia Taylor Bramble. We'll get to that. First of all, though, um, obviously, we're all on the ground at Arena Games in Singapore. It was fantastic to be there. It was fantastic to see these athletes um, do what they do, but especially... You can't, you can't even really tell on the television, but just how hot, humid and heavy it was there. And for the performances that we saw were just quite incredible. Maka, what, what's your take overall on how the Arena Games final uh, played out? I was better than I expected. You know, it was, for us, it was the first opportunity to actually see one up close and personal. I know Annie and Tim and the team, you know, we're always calling the event from Australia. So to actually feel the vibe... In a, in a, with a backdrop like we had at Marina Bay Sands there in downtown Singapore was remarkable. And just to see how fast it really is, is it, it, was, it was above and beyond what I expected. And the, the racing was, I think, some of the best of, of the season's racing, uh, the arena game season. So overall, I always just remember how hot it was and uh, how great the racing was. <laughs> That's pretty much my takeaway as well, to be fair, how hot it was. And how, how great these athletes were to dig as deep as they did and set the numbers that they did in such conditions. And you've been obviously uh, poolside or uh, reservoir side, I guess, over the, over the course of the three. And uh, overall, your impressions from, from the championship series, it, just, it really came into its own in 2022. I absolutely love Singapore. I kind of walked around all day with a massive smile on my face, even though the rain hit us hard, which just made it doubly humid. But I loved the open water swim and, and I loved, uh, we saw a sprint finish. I loved the run up, the intensity of it. And, you know, we saw the mistakes that were made, the very small ones that, you know, eventually, you know, completely changed the course of the racing. Aurelien Raphael with a six second lead in the 200 meter swim, then kind of losing the plot when he couldn't find his right bucket to put his shoes in but it was just phenomenal and um it was just electric that's the word i use you're absolutely on your toes the whole time and london munich they were brilliant singapore for me um topped it all yeah it, it did change things a little bit like what happened in the um in the championship series we went to malibu and then the the ocean swim and running and swimming in and out there changed things and obviously there was a shark 
we didn't have that one in Marina Bay Reservoir, but uh, we like to mix things up in the in the final and, and change the way things are, and that that helps some people and it hurts some people. But in the end, the cream kind of rose to the top anyway. So in the men's, and, and we'll start with the men's because you touched on that. Obviously, Aurelien Raphael was there, focused after his technical uh, in London to win that world title. He ended up finishing last in the in the final. Such is the 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 issue, I guess, with such fast racing. You can't get your head back in the game after making a mistake like that. Um, but the Justice Nishlag, who we thought would be strong, you know, kind of he got hurt a little bit with the fact that it wasn't a pool swim. Uh, and then in the end, it was the guys that were up the pointy end in Yokohama as well, Hayden Wild and Alex Yee, who really fought it out on the day. So changing into an open water format really threw some spanner in the works, Macca. Yeah. Well, for me, that was the big... The big unknown was this open water, having seen how critical transitions were and how difficult it was to make up any gaps. You know, the non-drafting that we brought in for the London event, I think, was a big positive outcome. And, it, it, you know, I was concerned with the open water in Singapore that those gaps that can naturally occur when you when you lose a body length and you sit on someone's feet could play out heavily on the racing. But Hayden Wild showed that that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, Oran Raphael went off and had, as you said, Annie, a six-second lead in that opening stage. And, uh, and lost that with a, with a mistake in transition. So transition's still critical. That heat was all the athletes talked about all week. We went through those heats during the week and the athletes trying to recover. We saw in the final a lot of the cooling mechanisms they were bringing in. But for me, to see Hayden Wild do his first Arena Games race and to do it the way he did and take away where I think one of Hayden's biggest advantages is his skill set that he has on a bike to nullify that in Arena Games racing and still do what he did against you know, against, you know, just this niche lag, against Orion Raphael, these athletes that have been dominating was remarkable. And Alex Yee, he just continues to improve. He's an Olympic gold, Olympic silver medalist, and he's getting better and better and better. So I, I, I thought the men's race was magnificent. I thought, you know, I was disappointed for the Frenchman to, to not, to, to make that mistake and not be where he wanted to be. But to get on the podium, I think he was very, very happy with. But the deserving winner was Alex Yee at the championship, and uh, I think he should be very, very proud of himself. In that final, Alex Yee was last out of the water, if you remember. And then when he got onto the run, he was second onto the treadmill. So, And we talk about his run a lot, but he biked his way from last and then running up that transition probably helped him a little bit. It was 150 metres. And then when he got onto the treadmill, he was five seconds behind Hayden Wall. And that's that's a huge bike for Alex Yee, who's a guy who we always talk about needs to get bigger and stronger and et cetera, et cetera but has no problem with that whatsoever, Annie, when it's just pure watts that comes into it and no drafting. He's such a phenomenal athlete. He's so light as well, you know, and his swim has improved massively. But I think what Alex does is he brings his, like, game head to the race. He, he whilst he's very, he's not cocky at all, he he wants to win. And, he, and he's so mature for his age in terms of the experience he has, which, let's face it, it's not huge, you know, on the big stage. And I think that's the difference. He's a huge talent, but he stays really calm. And I think it was obvious when we saw Aurelian just kind of slightly lose the plot. You know, he had six seconds. And then it was almost like he didn't throw his toys out the pram, but it was like, oh, shit, I've lost it, you know. But Alex doesn't do that. And we've seen him many times where you just think, oh, he's not coming back from this. And, you know, I think his head, his mind and how strong he is and his talent just means that he's going to be hard to beat for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, and we're going to talk about him again later. Um, but Alex, she got better and better. And what, what I liked about what Alex said at the end, 
you know, he's humble in terms of that. He goes, oh, I didn't have the result in Munich or like in the, the normal rounds before we got there. But he said, I came here to prove something to myself that I have the swim that I've been working so hard on. Uh, like I said, he was last out of the water. That was in the first stage and his swim got better and better. And that's what set him up in the end to be able to bike and run away with it. But he came to prove something to himself, which I think, you know, sometimes it helps you probably stay in your zone when there's so much going on to just know you have to nail your personal goals. I mean, you'd know better than me, Macca, but it looked like he came to prove something. And he did so, you know, obviously knowing he had to go to Yokohama and race, but he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to leave there without the world title or the inaugural world title first. Well, without question, we, we saw that same momentum in the championship series last year with Alex. He had a slow start in London and built through to, to really have a great championship series. But yeah, as he said, he, he's still learning and I think he's building that confidence and that's what he came to the Arena Games did. And we saw his swim for the entire series. It wasn't a one-off. He swam well in Munich. He swam well in London. He swam well in the pool. Over the pool, he had that one setback, which was just his, his get-off-the-block speed that he was was nullified. You saw him in any match swim race, when, when we, especially in the second stage, he could match anyone in that water. So I thought Alex is really becoming the true rounded athlete that I think he wants to be in his own head. He's already there. And now we're going to see even more improvement and more growth from Alex Yee. And, and we saw that in, in the race that came after Arena Games. Yeah. So, so now, we, now, we, now Alex Yee is the Super League Championship Series winner. He's the Super League Arena Games winner, and he is now the leader of the World Triathlon Championship Series. Like, there's no much, there's nothing more that he could have be doing over the last six months. Uh, there's no more to win, really. I guess he's kind of like the, he's kind of like the pint-sized Christian Blumenfeld in that way. He just keeps winning everything he goes in. But you know, he didn't have he didn't have a spectacular swim compared to when you look at what Vincent Lewis done in Yokohama to just move straight onto that race. But he biked his way up and he ran away with it in the end in another incredible sort of max race with Hayden Wild. It was just superb to watch those two come from Super League and, and do what they did in Yokohama. Annie, what did you think of that race uh, in general? And Macca as well, your thoughts off the back? I mean, it blew me away. It was to watch him. Yeah, I mean, he was 35 seconds down, actually, on the, on the swim. Um, Hayden Wild, 47 seconds down. Obviously, we'll talk about Hayden in a minute. To come back from that, I mean, they obviously weren't working at the front of the race, but they had Vincent Luis there, who uh, didn't finish, sadly. But Yi just, again, showed that maturity um, to, to keep calm. That's what he does. You know, there's so many athletes that are so talented. Something goes wrong, and they just go, oh, it's game over. It's never game over. Alex until you get to the finish line but he pulled that 35 seconds and I think that I think it was a nine lap course in in the first two laps you know he was back in there and then he keeps himself out of trouble and then coming off the bike places himself well and and it was game over you know and again I mean look at the run times I don't know how accurate the course is I don't know if they've changed it so I don't want to speak out of turn here but he ran a 28.50 and looking over the history of the runs in Yokohama no one has gone near that I mean, it's it's phenomenal, and and again, I mean, Hayden Wild went with him, but did drop off at the end and, and lost around about uh, ten fifteen seconds to him. But he was pretty close to. Yeah, with, without question, I think those two we, we've spoke about it a lot. We saw them at the Olympic Games, finished second and third behind Christian Blumenfeld, who also had a big big weekend of racing a couple of weeks ago. But um, those two athletes feed off each other, right? <laughs> those, 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 you know, Hayden Wild and Alex Shee is going to be a rival we talk about for 
quite some time. They're very good friends. They're, they've sort of raced each other through the junior ranks and, and they've, they've grown up into this elite racing now and they are the players of the, of the racing. I, I thought you've nailed it with the way Alex Shee races, Annie, in the sense that his patience and his, his fortitude and the way he, he conducts his, his racing IQ is above and beyond his years. He sat off. Hayden has a tendency to run out very, very hard, apply pressure. Alex doesn't rush that. He sat off Hayden's sat off the back of Hayden for most of that run, used the pacer as if he was on a 10,000-metre track race and and made the move at the critical time. We saw that in Tokyo. He ran the exact same run race. He's a very good sit kicker. I think he's going to evolve in that, and Hayden's a great ally, a great ally on the bike, a great person to get to the front in his aggressive racing. And those two guys distances themselves immediately from that run group. So the run pace was definitely red hot. And from looking at it, I did that race 10 years ago. It looked like the same course, as you know, Turnaround, boy, turnaround markers could be in different spots, but it looks like the same course, right? So I'm thinking, wow, that is ridiculously fast. Did you run a sub 30 minute 10K there or, or, or not, Maka? Mate, I was happy to run sub 31 back in the day, Will. It's usually very, very hot. So it's, it, it, can be, it can be quite warm, that, that course. But coming from Singapore, they would have been ready for the heat. I don't know how accurate this is, and I think you're you're right, Macker. I think it looked to me like it was on the same course. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's four laps of 2.5K. Christian Blumenfeld was the closest in times in 2021 in a 29.26. Vincent Luis, 30.21 in 2019. He clocked a 28.50. I mean, just blown away with that, really. Doesn't it feel like, you know, three years ago, we're talking about Vince like he's unbeatable, and now we're talking about Vince like he's in the previous generation? And I, I, he obviously had a bad time, but like it was all about him. And then suddenly you go down and there's like guys that are four years younger that are now suddenly hitting it. And then in four years' time, we'll be like, Aiden Wild used to be good, but how about this kid who's <laughs> right now is 13 years of age? He's running at 27 for 30. Yeah. It's, just, it's ridiculous how quickly the bar gets raised. And, and that's awesome though. But, you know, there was a large period of time in that race where there was just a big bike pack. And I, I know that we we always talk about this in, in terms of what happens in Olympic distance races like this and drafting races that it, it doesn't I, I don't necessarily always want to see a ten kilometer shootout at the end, um, yeah. but I do like the way Hayden races. Like he always goes to the front, and maybe he shouldn't do that because he just should sit in and wait a little bit more. But he always seems to be at the front of those bike packs. But it, it was dry; it wasn't wet in the men's race. And I mean, how how do you? With the absence of an Alistair Brownlee or someone to just destroy the bike pack, I mean, how 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 do they change that from being the standard procedure uh, within those races, Macca? Look, the difficulty I, I've always thought when I and I've raced that Yokohama course twice, and a few of the events they have in Japan with the dead turns, they have three dead turns in that in that on that course that loop, and those dead turns tend to bring the packs back together. You can't get that rhythm. When a group gets away, they can swap turns and get a rhythm. When you come to these dead, very tight dead turns, it, it allows that second group to come together. And, you know, I, I personally believe they need to to eliminate some of that dead turning on, on a lot of the courses. Uh, you know, we talked about a lot with our Super League Championship Series course planning. We try and, you know, have wide entries and narrow exits out of those turns to, to string the groups out and make it a little harder to to get back on, to, to close those deficits that you've lost in the swim. But it's... It's fundamentally the same. When, when nowadays the athletes, there's so much talent, and so many people getting out of the water within a twenty to thirty second mark. You've got, you know, it's it's very hard to get those 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 gaps to to stay awake, and it's up to 
you know, World Triathlon ultimately to potentially start looking at how they can do that through course design. Because a lot of these course, des- a lot of these course rules and protocols were set in place from the mid '90s and have slowly evolved. But nowadays, you know, those gaps aren't as big as they used to be, and we and we need to do something with course design. I think three dead turns on a on a circuit like that per lap is too many. Yeah, can't argue with that. Alex G, one forty three thirty in the end there. Hayden Wild ten seconds back. And then there was just a whole bunch of Super League alumni. Leo Berger was 19 seconds back in the end to take third. Matty Hauser had the race of his career in terms of WTCS racing and picked up a fourth. Uh, it was 10 seconds further back from Pierre Lacour and Dorian Connings. But how good are the French going? Three in the top six. Uh, Vasco Velasa was there in seventh. Uh, Ricardo Batista, who I don't know that much about, was in eighth. Kevin McDowell and Antonio Serrazioni. But... Um, Matty Hauser, that, that's it. Like, I mean, the resurrection of Australian triathlon is on, Macca. Like, we've changed. It's put 2021 in the, in the rearview mirror. <laughs> we, are, we are back. We are back and ready for Birmingham. Right? Right? Ready for the- oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and he it's had an correct. off day. I mean, apart from the wit, an off day? Well, no, I'm just making that up just to stir it into Annie. But, <laughs> but no, he, he, all I'm saying, is Annie, is that there's the same number. There's the same number of Australians and Brits in the top 10, okay? So how about that? How do you like that? Yeah, yeah but I just want to – well, it's obvious that, you know, the Brit was on the top of the podium. Matty Hauser, you know, decent effort from him. Where's the rest of them? What's happened to Jake Burtwistle? outside the top yeah. 10 you know where's that guy of sort of 2018 19 but um god knows what's happening with the australian federation that's another that's another podcast altogether isn't it but the not, french not one that i'm going to be on no 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 uh, no me neither um <laughs> but the frenchies another top three in the top 10 uh, top, you know three in the top 10 you know i mean no van son louis there but you know what a performance from leo berger that was outstanding and dorian connix we know he's a winner of WTS previously and you know he's maturing as an athlete you know there were times gone by when it wasn't working for him and he'd just kind of drop out or something would happen but you know he's up there and Lacour so much experience so the Frenchies that you know they're going to be ones to watch uh, this year as well but um, yeah Jake Birdwhistle had, had a terrible swim Jake Birdwhistle uh, mm-hmm. and then had a, a chase on the bike the whole time but he still ran, he ran a sub 30 minute 10k too so okay. mate that's just uh, that's part of the course now if you're Jake Birdwhistle so I think there's some positives for him to take out into the next one. So let's hope that uh, we do see him back to the kind of form we've seen before. I mean, obviously, I remember all the way back on Hamilton Island, him running down the the, the straight there at, at about two minute K pace to to win the um, to win one of those days in the wet, which was um, you know now obviously five years ago. But let's let's look. Let's go to the women and let's start back at uh, Singapore again, and you know. It's an unpredictable beast, Arena Games Racing. Uh, and the first real twist we had in that day was Jess Learmonth, who we did hear whispers of there was a niggle, uh, there was a potentially a hip issue. We didn't know how bad it was. And then um, she, she's so gutsy. I think a lesser athlete would have probably not raced that day. But Jess Learmonth was there to win uh, and give it her all. But she only lasted, a you know, 100 metres on the treadmill. How... How shocking was that, I guess, to see her do it, try and get back on, couldn't walk, collapsed again. Um, just a, just a horrible way to go out for probably one of the one of the great characters of Super League triathlon racing. Chris? 
Yeah, and we, we saw it happen. As you said, we, we, we heard it in the in the build up. There was a lot of talk and I know Annie had a word to her before the before the gun went off and she said, Look, I'll see how we go and uh, I, I feel pretty good. But we literally saw her on the treadmill while she was leading the race, while she was in the position. It wasn't as if she was out of action. She had a phenomenal swim. She was dynamic on the bike and running really well. And we literally saw the, the hip give way and she was she had to step off and, and lie down and and that opened up the racing for Beth and others. But it was heartbreaking because she is such a front runner. She brings so much momentum to the racing, to call. She sort of puts the hammer down and, and all the women have to chase. I, I really felt for her. I really hope that she can get that worked on. It's not critical for a season because I, I was looking forward to seeing Jess race this season, um, you know, off that big successful Olympic Games, off last year's championship series in Super League, into that arena games racing where she's been so strong with Beth. I just thought she had big things planned for, for 2022, so I'm hoping that that hit comes good and we see her hopefully in Leeds, maybe. I think I'm being a little optimistic, but it would be nice to see her in that in that home race in Leeds. Yeah, and you spoke to her. You were the first person to speak to her. Obviously, she she has a great deal of perspective, Jess Learmont, with things and tends to get over things quite quickly uh, mentally and look on the bright side of things, which we all love about her, but obviously devastated at that exact moment. Oh, listen... Uh... I'm with Maka. Apart from anything, I wanted to see her race because I love to see her race. She should have pushed Beth all the way. She's the hardest athlete that there is, you know, in arena games. Not taking anything away from anyone else. They're all bloody hard asses. But she, you, you know that, that there was real pain because Jess doesn't stop. And she was completely incapacitated by that injury. Um, you know, we knew it was there the day before. Um, we don't know what it was, but it obviously stopped her in her stride with like about 100 metres to go. And she only had to do, mm. run two two more one Ks, but it just wasn't going to happen. So absolutely devastating. But for, for Jess at the moment, she has to worry that she hasn't, you know, either qualified for the Commonwealth Games, which for mm. me is like quite extraordinary. So um, she, I don't think she'll be in Leeds either, Maka. I mean, we're talking, what, three, three, just under four weeks to go, um, hoping that it's not anything too seriously. I don't know. I haven't heard anything back. But it was disappointing for all of us, actually, selfishly, because we want to see her race. She's the most entertaining of racers in Super League, you know, whether it's Super League series or arena games. And she was truly missed at the end of that final. Yeah, we wanted to see her go head-to-head, didn't we? We wanted to see her go head-to-head with Beth Potter. We wanted, like, the same way we want to see her go head-to-head with Beth Potter in Birmingham. But that might not happen either now because she just won't have the qualification opportunities to to get herself over the line. But where it, it kind of took the heat out of stage one there because suddenly it was Beth Potter's to lose. Uh, she didn't look her most comfortable either. And we know there were some illness issues the previous night and some... You know, of all the people who are suffering in the heat, coming directly from Leeds and living, you know, born and raised in Scotland, not not really the same conditions going on down there at the equator. Um, but Sian Rainsley looked likely, and then in stage two she dropped off, and then suddenly it was it was Beth's to lose, and Beth started playing tactics a little bit more than she may normally have, and that opened the door for Janet Bragmeyer to go, okay, in that case, I'm going to have the race of my life, and I'm going to take it to Potter and they were off the bike together and then in that second stage and then Bragmire took that long run into the water to gap her um, and off the back of a 12th place in Tokyo, Janet Bragmire ended up in stage three outrunning Beth Potter, which was outstanding and, and it's good because we never spoke about her in the lead up to this really and then she just turned up and did the job. 
Yeah, we, we've seen well, we've seen that from Jana Bragmeier. I saw her in our Super League Championship Qualifier Series a couple of years ago in Poznan, in Poland, when she qualified for the Championship Series with huge swims and massive runs. I, I was, and we never, I never saw her translate that into any of the championship racing. She had great swims, but her run was off. We saw a glimpse of it in one of the arena games. You're going to put me on the spot here. I'm going to say it might have been Munich where she was there or she, she ran, she equaled one of the run times of, of the leaders. So she is capable yep. of running well. And I think, I think when Jess Learmonth was out, it, as you said, it opened the floodgates. She was able to build that confidence. She saw that Beth was really struggling in the heat and Beth didn't hide that fact that she was not enjoying the heat all weekend. She struggled in the heats. And she was really fighting that for the entire for the entire weekend's racing, which shows the heart Beth Potter races with. But I think Janet slept. She smelt blood in the water and was ready to attack. She's like a shark in, in Marina Bay Sands, and she worked it the entire back end of it. And she nearly got away with uh, with um, you know, or she did get away with some some amazing racing. She did four point two seconds ahead in the end, and I think we can't lose sight of the fact that she was in the repercharge charge that day. And yeah. it was hot. So she didn't go straight through from the heats. She was the only person who figured at the pointy end of any racing who actually had already raced two stages in the heat five hours beforehand and then turned up and did it again. So, I mean, like when you consider that, that's really one of the great efforts from, from Bragmeyer to be able to compete and to win and to outrun Potter in the last 400 metres to take it by four seconds. And she deserved every, every accolade that went her way, Annie. Absolutely, and and so brave as well because, oh my gosh, Macca and I got on the treadmills. Well, Macca did, and then nearly pulled a quad um, to just. Stick no, he really did, of... didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I did. We just thought, let's have a little go. And I, I'd had a little. I mean, it did look funny because he, for a split second, you know, he looked like the world champion that he was, um, and then he had to hop off. Did, I didn't see that. I didn't see that I, bit. I've got it filmed. I'll send it to you. But um, we. we those, those machines are so bloody hard. And the fact that Jeanette didn't kind of go, oh, I'm going to get second here in the final. I went, no, I'm going to give it to you, Boss Petter. Boss Petter. Boss Petter. We've renamed her. Um, <laughs> she, she did. I can't get my words out. It's been a long day already. Um, she, she was just really magnificent the way she didn't give in. You know, you just, I kept thinking that nah, she's, she's going to drop off. She's going to drop off. And she didn't. And it was really great to see you know someone else there you know we didn't have Jess you know challenging for the overall um, win in Singapore not not the series obviously but a fantastic uh, performance I've seen her in the world WTS for quite a few years as Maka said always great in the swim always up there dropped off on the bike but she was great on the bike you know she's pushing great power and, and it was lovely to see um, the young Hungarian come through and take the victory mm. that day she definitely deserved it. And on the double points, not only does she take the victory, but she's a vice world champion now uh, in esports racing. So congratulations to Janet Bragmeyer. Beth Potter, of course, is our uh, Arena Games Triathlon esports world champion, uh, and she can put that one in the back pocket. Georgia Taylor-Brown was third. She's never really been suited to Arena Games Triathlon. I think she's so not suited to the racing, but it's just a class that manages to carry her through to a third, fourth, and fifth place over and over again. Uh, but she, of all the people, when you compare the class of who they are as an athlete versus how they perform in arena games, she probably have the biggest gap, when, and especially when you consider what she turns around a week later and runs away from Flora Duffy and company and ends, ends up uh, winning in Yokohama, which was an, inc an incredible effort again. Uh, and as I said, no European woman has won there 
in 10 years and Georgia Taylor Brown just turns it on her head, has a magnificent run, runs the way that we know that she can and just looks comfortable, says afterwards she felt horrible. She always says that, but she keeps it all on the inside. And that was one of the... One of, the, one of the great starts to a season for, from a Brit who just rose to the top like a phoenix, Macca. Well, look, I think we all get excited to watch Georgia Taylor Brown, especially over this longer distance, the Olympic distance. I think she, she is much better at that distance. The way her form is magnificent, swim, bike and run. She looks so controlled. She never looks under duress, under pressure. And, and I was really eager and keen to see the showdown between her and, and Bo Grand. Unfortunately, Bo Grand got brought down on the bike with, with Laura Lindemann, um, and we didn't see that. But um, um, Georgia Taylor-Brown just was never really looked to be struggling. You know, that group, sort of, the group of women sort of got away. She sat in and just sort of made that move. And as you said, she always says, oh, I didn't feel good. And she's running away from everyone else. Every time after the race in the interview, I never felt good. I just made the move and everyone sort of dropped off and, and then I just sort of hung on and you're like, you look better than the people behind you, than the, the women behind you. But I, I love watching Georgia Taylor-Brown race. I think she just looks so easy, so yet so fast and seems to be having such a good time and she's such a good role model for, for future generations of athletes. She's, she's just awesome. And to, to see her win that race and, and now leading the World Championship Series again, she won that Sprint World Championships a couple of years ago to be going in as the world number one so this year's series racing is pretty cool and she's well-deserving. Yeah, she could be adding a 2022 world title to her 2020 one-off. I mean, I, I guess it comes with a bit of a caveat, the one-off race in 2020. Um, but yeah. now with a full season, she'll be very much sniffing after that. Um, and what about your thoughts on the race, Annie? Obviously, you know, a lot of class came to the top and the, the group biked away with Taylor Nib and Flora Duffy and Maya Kingmer and Kirsten Casper was there and a, a couple of the French women and Taylor Spivey. But then eventually... As Maka said, just the pace too hot and Georgia was the last woman standing. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think Maka said it all about GTB. You know, I mean, such a cool chick, the most lovely person, the most talented athlete. You know, she just sits so comfortably in a bike pack and she looks so cruisy on the run. Let's talk about Leonie Perio, though. I mean, she is a Team Cheetah member. Let's not forget. I think she had one of the best races or the best race that she's ever had um, on WTS. She's picked up her swim. We know what a fabulous runner she is. So an outstanding performance for her. I mean, one thing I will point out about Jess is another. She reminds me, well, she, you know, she's very similar to Alex in the sense, but she has more experience that she stays very calm. And she ran away from the group and they ran back up to her. And I was wondering if that was going to throw her, but it did they all came back together she got about 10 meters on them they came back together and when the time was right she she took off again um emma lombardi as well the under 23 world champion brilliant debut performance for her um finishing in fourth and, and flora duffy um she was good i think maybe um yeah she's got some work on her run to do she didn't look as comfortable as she would do but uh, the olympic champion you know if third's a bad day on a wts you know it's not a bad day in our book is it but she'll want more a lot more out of out of the next race did you say debut for who is that a word you mean debut debut would de- debut? Deb- is that what you Aussies call it? Debut. That's what we say. Yeah. In Australia, we just say we say debut. 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 Are you picking up? Are you picking up the English chick on the English? I mean, you guys well, like you know. I mean, let's I be honest. Bad. I mean, I, I, I mean, debut. an Aussie picking an English. 
The <laughs> beauty. Just, whatever. Listen, I'm struggling with my words. I've had a long weekend. Debut. Jeez <laughs> um, Louise. Debut. All right. No, but okay, because I'm saying that because I feel bad because right now I, did, I just realised this that we've got the our arena uh, our championship series champions both British, our arena games esports triathlon world champions both British, both race winners in Yokohama British. I, it's it's hurt it's, it's hurting me. So then I just la- I lashed out if I'm being honest. Yeah, you, with you. I know that I can say it's a bit childish, but I wouldn't expect anything more from you. Well, no, I understand. I'm un- I understand. I understand. I'm tired. Um, you know what? I'm just going to stop talking. That's probably enough. We've got plenty more coming up uh, later oh, on. Yeah. We're going to hear from Tim Don, who's in isolation. Actually, in isolation from us. Actually, he's in America, and I'm speaking to him from our specialized headquarters where he's with the Zwift Academy uh, as a mentor. I've been mentored by TD uh, in the wind tunnel for the last couple of days, so I'll yeah. talk to him. Uh, well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Macca. Enjoy Poland. I'll see you over there in a couple of weeks. I've been let out of Fortress Australia again, so I'll see you over there for Sub 7, Sub 8. Really? Looking forward to it, my friend. Good to see you, Annie. I'm flying up Annie, to London tomorrow. Annie, you're not tomorrow. invited. I'm not, no, I am, I am invited. I'm just busy. Oh, yeah. Is that enough? keeps inviting us? people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, never, 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 never. It's probably for the best. All right. I'll wave goodbye to you guys. We're going to hear from Tim later, but first we're going to go to Coach's Corner with Lance Watson. It's time for another Coach's Corner brought to you by Human Go, a unique platform designed to improve athletic motivation and performance. I think we could all use that. Go to humango.ai. And the great man himself, Lance Watson, Olympic gold medal coach, Ironman champion, coach, triathlon Hall of Famer. He makes me say that contractually. He's here to join us and give us some insights. Lance, first of all, how are you going, mate? How was the weekend's racing? It's a lot on. Oh, I mean, uh, did you get any sleep this weekend? I'm not sure I did. There was uh, something going on in a different time zone at all times and opposite ends of the continuum too, as far as, <laughs> you know, duration, um, intensity. Uh, it was exciting. It was an exciting weekend. Yeah, it's, it's almost uh, too hard to go between the two because you've seen guys out there with 210 heart rates for 12-minute racing and then switching to eight-hour racing. Uh, and, and then to see a guy, and then you look at a guy like Christian Blumenfeld who goes from Super League all the way to Ironman. And you just, I, I guess you must wonder how it's possible that a guy can do things like that across the scales and collect the Olympic Championship and the World Championship and the World Record and the Ironman World Record and Super League race wins. Mm. It's it's just almost superhuman from a coaching perspective. He's a special athlete. I mean, he's he's a generational talent is what he is. And um, not all athletes can take it up to uh, every distance, uh, can do it in short and do it long. Um, obviously, he can. You know, it really dawned on me um, watching both events this weekend that um, – well, first of all, a great athlete is a great athlete and, and um, you're a student of the sport and you learn how to transfer those skills from short into long and you learn how to manage different distances at diff- different distances and different um, courses. And then if you are lucky enough to have you know the help of a great coach who has experience and can maybe give you a shortcut to success you know, in the long stuff too, so you're not making uh, some of the mistakes that athletes were making 10 years ago. Um, but on the other hand, I was thinking, you know, watching uh, Singapore this weekend and um, some of the uh, Dan Dixon comes to mind as a young athlete who's coming up and, uh, you know, where natural talent and that youthful speed can shine and develop 
in that arena as well, alongside some of these greats. And it reminds me of Formula One racing in uh, triathlon, Formula One racing in uh, Australia back in uh, the 90s, where guys like Maka and and many of the great Aussies and internationals came up in a similar style of racing. And it was a great way for the top athletes to really hone their skills. Um, but it was also a great uh, entry point for some of the rising stars to make their first impressions because they could, you know, stay in touch. A young athlete like um, Dixon might not be able to keep up for Olympic distance yet because he just hasn't developed as an athlete. But what a great um, platform and stage for him as well. Yeah, I mean, it, w- what it really does is kind of democratize, you know, a, a partnership with World Triathlon democratizes the, the access to this because federations can mm-hmm. put athletes forth. And that's why we're seeing sort of 30, 40 athletes on a start list and then we go through the heats and, and all of that before we arrive at the finals. And, and I guess that, and what I've noticed is that athletes who, and we've talked about it before, who, who might not shine at Olympic distance, even athletes that are in their mid-20s or, or, or later, seem to find a way to do it in this one because it's a different set of tactics. And um, in that way, I suppose, coaching towards that kind of short distance stuff because we how would you coach a guy like a Dan Dixon and go, okay, you, you, you're good this way. Let, let's, would you say, let's stick with this kind of distances for the next two or three years or, and, and then move forward? Because we always know that you go from Olympic to Ironman or, or if you're Christian, you just go back and forth however you want. But, but now you've got this, <laughs> this new shoot, this new super short racing. Uh, how does yeah. that change what a coach's perspective of an athlete's progression is? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, if you think about the Olympic distance of racing, and if you just were to take out the run portion, you're running 10K off the bike, which is kind of like running the second half of a half marathon, uh, you know, as far as endurance required. And when you're trying to push up, uh, you know, maybe 21, 22 year olds to race at that distance from a developmental pathway, it might be a little bit premature, just like it might be a bit premature to have 23, 24 year olds stepping up to the 70.3 distance, which is almost like training to be a marathon runner at a young age. So this gives coaches the uh, opportunity and the liberty to maybe fully develop an athlete to develop those anaerobic and threshold pathways fully, completely, because if they do that, when they do step up to the next distance and like, much like Mac, he's going to like me, I keep referencing him today, but <laughs> uh, you know, he was, he was able to, um, you know, become a world champion at, the Olympic distance before going up to 70.3 and dominating then going up to Olympic distance and dominating. And, and, uh, if you are able to fully develop those anaerobic and threshold pathways properly in a young athlete, their ceiling is going to be higher when they go into the longer distance as well. Their ability to go faster at an aerobic pace will also be um, higher. So, so it's a tool, but in the reverse, you're going to have some athletes who just genetically have more fast twitch fiber <laughs> more anaerobic capacity, and they're going to top out at maybe sprint distance, uh, even um, on the WTS circuit, you know, they, they might be a great 5k runner off the bike and, and not be able to carry it for 10k. So you're going to have other uh, athletes like uh, we see with Nishlag who, who can really shine in this, you know, and maybe if this had been around for him for the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years, he would have been one of the all time legends <laughs> in 
you know, arena sport, right? Like he could have um, been the, the one that we all look back on in 15 years and go, remember that guy? He dominated all those years, right? Yeah, so. well, I mean, he still could. I mean, he's already our most successful. He's pretty much podiumed in every single one. And, exactly. And, uh, exactly. and there's, there's plenty more to come as we continue to expand. Yeah, he's, he's breaking ground. Yeah, yeah but yeah. What, what, I mean, yeah. what, we say that, right? And you go, okay, so in your mid-30s, you're an Ironman athlete uh, or a long-distance athlete. But then I was watching guys like Daniel Backergaard and Sam Long and like younger guys who seem yeah. to lead these longer events now. So are they are we reaching mm-hmm. a point now where we've got three separate pathways almost? You've got Olympic distance pathway, you've got the super short SLT stuff, and then you've got the long distance. And you can kind of pick mm-hmm. and stick rather than progress upwards. Is that what it takes or will it take in the next generation to shine rather than go one, two, three like we've always done because the standards yeah. are so high? Um, that, that's actually a great question. And I guess my fear as a coach, if I was going to say fear, fearful, is that, um, people like Sam Long, I think Lucy Charles Barkley got into long distance at a pretty young age as well. And has had a tremendous success. Um, they're outliers. And sometimes you have somebody who is incredibly durable, um, you know, genetically is just a, like a huge horsepower aerobic machine. And, um, they're, and when they're young, they're able to absorb mileage and be resilient and, and they can get out and race, race, race and do that long stuff. Um, and, and Sam may have a great career for until he's 40, you know, is he just maybe that kind of an athlete, but I don't think it's the typical development pathway. Mm. It's an atypical development pathway. And, uh, you know, there's even learning race intelligence in this short format like being crafty and, and draft legal racing as well on the road, you know, um, when it's highly technical and you're having to make really, really quick decisions. Um, that is something that you learn there that it's harder to pick up later in life if you go straight into long distance. And now, you know, I've, I've worked with other athletes who've come to the sport a little bit later in their life. Like Lindsay Corbin is a great example. You know, she started age group triathlon in long course after running, um, you know, cross country and being a downhill skier and just just a good engine, you know, um, but it took her a while to figure out how to win races because she's doing these long course races. You can't race every single weekend, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and you don't get that exposure to that high concentration of, you know, 50 absolute animals out there who, you know, it's cutthroat, right? Like one mistake and you're out of it. So you really have to learn how to, um, uh, think quick on your feet. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, they're unique and they're both exciting in different ways. And it sure was a lot of fun to watch the different championships pan out this past weekend. One thing that was an issue at both events though, was the heat. I mean, I I couldn't walk outside Mm. for 30 seconds in Singapore without being completely drenched in sweat. And we watched Beth Mm. Potter dig insanely deep and be shaking after that one. And I mean, it was a lot of discussion around how hot and humid it was. And Utah is obviously different, but in, in the way that it's, it probably sneaks up on you, the dehydration there, because it's cooler. But yeah. the, and when it heats up, it's very dry. So, I mean, preparation mm-hmm. and management of those different types of conditions, extremely important to be able to perform. Absolutely. So, um, you know, humid heat is different from dry heat. So you make a good point there. A lot of times you're out in that dry heat in the desert and you're sweating and it's evaporating off your body and you actually don't have a real sense of what your sweat rate is and how much you're losing. And that can really sneak up on you. You get to the end of the day and you pull off your kit and it's, uh, you know, it used to be black and now it's white. It's just crusted in salt and that's all that's left. And 
but when you get into that um, that high humidity, it's it's even more repressive. That's why they have that you know here's the temperature and here's the feels like temperature, which is usually you know five degrees Celsius higher, and and it's absolutely brutal. So um, there's a couple of things to consider. Now, first of all, I think we we've, we've saw it on the weekend. Some athletes just um, genetically are better in the heat. And in my days with the sports center in Canada, we used to take athletes over to Hawaii, you know, take our Canadians. We'd have Canadians, you know, from the Northern hemisphere, some would race incredibly well in the heat and some wouldn't. You think, well, okay, Canadians racing well in the heat, that doesn't make sense. So we would take them to the track in Kona and they'd, they'd uh, you know, swallow this pill with a, a thermometer and a radio transmitter. And we do intervals on the track and we this thing up to their stomach after every interval and measure their core temperature and um you know it was it was actually unbelievable we had one guy we called the ice man because his core temperature wouldn't even go up i mean this guy was cold all the time even in kona and of course so he was he did really well in the heat and we had another woman who was a canadian olympian who um you know always just oh it's in my head i'm just not good at managing the heat on a head case and then we actually measured her, her core temperature and it was up you know a degree and a half higher than anybody else like she was like almost ready to go to the hospital <laughs> when you kind of put that on the scale of what's safe so there is that genetic part but you can also train yourself to adapt to the heat and um by putting yourself in that, uh, you know, in a in a hot indoor climate um, with humidity, so you can get a humidifier going. You can you can buy a uh, thermometer that measures heat humidity. You can do it at home, a little makeshift, ninety minutes a day, five days in a row. Try and gradually elevate heart rate, and you will see yourself uh, adapt over time. Um, <laughs> whether you want to put yourself through that kind of self torture is is another conversation, oh. but. You know, if you're racing for paychecks, you have to do that stuff. Um, we actually have a heat trailer here at, at our uh, sports center and where we can do a little bit more scientifically and really, you know, control uh, climate and measure core temperature through a couple of um, pathways and, and, and see the adaptation and measure the adaptation in athletes. And one of the things that happens is their sweat rate goes up. They get more efficient at sweat rate, sweating. Sodium content in the sweat gets lower as they acclimate as well. So they're actually losing less sodium, which is a good thing because it helps them maintain hydration. They're able to absorb the fluid that they drink and their blood plasma volume gets higher as well. And, and that's important for a number of things, delivering oxygen to working muscles, delivering nutrient to working muscles. But you know, when you sweat, your skin gets red and all that water comes to the surface. Well, that's coming out of your blood plasma, right? So when you're sweating, you're actually, your blood volume in your body is getting lower. So that's why rehydration protocols are important. Um, that's why you saw athletes dumping water all over themselves and drinking every chance they could get, even in the middle of these, you know, um, you know, whatever, five minutes on the bike all out and they're still like rinsing down, even though they're riding as hard as they can because they're doing everything that they can um, on course. And then of course there is on course uh, management as well too. So putting ice in hats, um, you know, there's technical fabrics you can wear around your neck and on your head that um, have cooling qualities, they have crystals in them putting uh, ice on any of your um, um, uh, heat centers um, does help a lot. Um, some athletes actually will carry ice in their hands and there's been a lot of research on that too. If you just carry a block of ice in your hand, it keeps your core temperature down. So strategies involved um, and uh, it's, it does make a difference, but tell me, Will, I mean, when I watched the uh, coverage, I think I saw more pain faces this weekend than in London. <laughs> How about you? Well, you know, it was, they were all saying that it was very humid on the pool deck in London as well. So, uh, but definitely sure. it was yeah. more visceral to watch. Uh, and you saw the athletes with, you know, Beth Potter had the ice around her neck and 
people with ice yeah. on their heads and, and down the front of their shirt. Yeah. And I, I honestly, Vicky Holland and I ate a lot of ice creams too during the course of the weekend. <laughs> uh, we had a couple. I'm glad you're taking care of yourself yeah. and making sure you don't overheat. Yeah, yeah. Way to be a pro. Way to be a pro. I was coping better on the fifth day, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's how I did it. So yeah. that's probably something yeah. you could look into for your athletes. Okay. Um, uh, ice, ice cream stands yeah. on the Ironman course. There's yeah. other problems. Yeah. There's other problems to come yeah. with it, but it could be that. Um, something I want to ask you, and I guess I guess this is a question that it's not necessarily as much to do with Super League and uh, and, and, the, and the pro racing, but obviously there's a lot of mm. age group athletes, including myself, who are you know watching this and listening to you, and time mm. time training in different energy zones. So I mean, and, and I guess we can yeah. tie in. Uh, human go here and what that does sure. and, and how that would yeah. help and and how we can how age group athletes can be a little more scientific about how they go about it because for a long time I was like right I don't have a lot of time right so I'm just yeah. going to go in and do, I'm just going to hammer a session out and that's always going right. to be the same some of you like threshold sessions over and over and over and, and the you, 40 minute run over and over and over yeah because yeah, yeah. you're like oh this is how much yeah. time I've got I've got to do this so I mean sure. how can how yeah. can age groupers be a little bit more who have to juggle a lot of things, be a little more scientific about mm. how they go about their training to get the best results out of themselves. Yeah, no, okay. So um, that's a great question and a great comment. Uh, so I'd like to talk about, I call it the 80-50 rule. <laughs> We've heard of the 80-20 rule before. I call it the 80-50 rule. I don't think I've rule. got 130 in me, mate. <laughs> and it's it basically, you can you can gain 80% uh, of your max fitness in 50% of the, the training time. And then it's exponentially more time to get that last 20%. So for a lot of us who are, um, you know, time crunched and we're trying to be really efficient, uh, you don't have to train 20, 25 hours a week. You know, it's, it's a sort of, um, sort of diminishing returns on, on that extra time put in. So then you, you take it to the next level and you go, okay, if you're going to slice and dice your training plan, what's most important. And what I did was, um, I went through, um, dozens of athletes and there's some great tools that we have that can quickly discern and extrapolate how much time they're spending in different energy systems for all these athletes training for different distances. And that was really valuable because, you know, um, athletes have all kinds of curveballs in life and, and, um, you know, it's not always, Oh, Monday to Sunday is the same program. They get sick. They have a meeting at work. Da, 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 da. So in a bird's eye view, when you look at eight or 12 weeks through a development phase in a training plan, how much time are they spending in each energy system at a period of their progression in their physiological progression? Have I lost you yet? So let's say we're, um, you know, we're, we're in our base phase or we're going into our preparation phase where we're building, um, you know, as we move uh, forward, intuitively, you know, okay, we're going to spend a little bit more time doing some anaerobic work, and we're going to do spend a little bit more time doing some threshold work. So zone four, and then zone five, we call it, and then that zone three work, that tempo work. What happens though is there are limits within each phase of how much of those high end sessions you can do. It doesn't matter how many. If you're training forty hours a week you can still only do so much work above threshold or you're going to blow your legs to smithereens. So what we had to do is actually go through and create, okay, what are the caps? What are the absolute limits of within those energy systems of no matter how much time you're spending within the week? And then how are you going to distribute 
the rest of that training time within the week. So it's still effective, you know, so you're not doing a, you know, your five hour Ironman ride on Saturday and you've got all your anaerobic and threshold intervals within that five hour ride too. I mean, that would make no sense whatsoever. Right. So um, what we did was um, we figured out that there were, um, you know, certain percentages of time. And for me, when I started to parse it out, I was like, Oh, that's just seems really low. Like it's a 4% when I'm, peaking only 4% of my time is anaerobic work. But when you think, okay, well, if that's 4% of 20 hours, that's about 50 minutes of anaerobic work. And if you think about it, well, that's, uh, you know, going to the track and running, you know, whatever, five times 800 meters above threshold, that's a big workout. And that doesn't take a lot of time. So how do we make sure that, you know, if you're using this AI platform, which is super cool, that you don't crank somebody and you're not backing up day after day after day, you, you're actually putting hard limits in how much time in each period you can spend in each energy system. And then the rest gets distributed into aerobic work. And what I found was outside of absolute novice um, athletes who, you know, have to spend more time just in aerobic adaptation, when you get into intermediate expert and even my professional athletes, the ceilings were pretty darn close. Like our pros were able to handle a little bit more of that intensity. And then the other thing that we found was, um, was that the middle zones, that zone three, as we got closer to our event actually came down, except if you were training for a longer course, like Ironman, where actually that is kind of your bread and butter and your sweet spot. So you would start doing more and more of that sort of zone three work, which is just a little bit at or just above race pace. And you'd actually have to tailor off the others. So that's a long and convoluted answer to your question, which basically says, you know, um, be careful not to cook your goose doing too much anaerobic work too early in the season. And then make sure as you get closer to your race that you're doing more threshold and anaerobic work but you're taking out that middle zone so that your aerobic work is um, very separated so that you're not overloading your muscles and your energy systems. And human go, or, human go can do that for you, right? Or if I've completely confused you, <laughs> human go is going to work it all out for you because you're wearing all these incredible uh, technologies, wearable technologies, which are capturing all your data. And you got two of them going. I got, you got, the, your, I got the Garmin. You got, yeah. I got the Whoop strap. Yeah, uh, and it's a backup plan. <laughs> if one goes wrong, the other one's got you covered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of them tells me when to train, and the other one tells me when to sleep. I didn't yeah, know what to do, man. <laughs> like, otherwise, That's I will right. take the same session every single time. And I think a lot of people like, That's right. like they know what they know, and they just go do it. So that's, yeah. I guess, where human go, you know, comes in and yeah, it adapts it's, with you. Like if you haven't slept, like I've just moved about like a bunch of time zones in the weekend back and forth, be able to adapt to what, what's happening with you, right? That's right. And, and we do measure sleep and we do measure recovery. And, um, you know, it's, it's measured as far as um, training load and, and it's called fitness. And if fatigue levels get too high, then the program is going to um, recalibrate what's coming up in the near future. Uh, and, and then as a human being, you have the right to override it and say, no, I still want to go hammer my brains out. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. I'm going to override it in the opposite direction and go, you know, I'm just going to take the next couple of days off, human go. What are you going to do? Yeah. 
<laughs> what, what do do? Well, then we have, there's this feature with red sirens that come on, and <laughs> a representative from Human Go is going to come wake me up from my nap and say, "Mate, yes. it's time to go." Uh, it's, uh, it sounds outstanding, and, uh, and and to an extent, it can't it can't uh, completely fill the the professional coach ranks, but it can go a, a, a damn long way, which is exactly what uh, you know, cutting edge, cutting edge technology. Yeah, well, it is. Do. It's 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 actually a tool for coaches as well, Will too, and it's it's. You know, it, it's allowing coaches to distill more data than ever before. So if you think about it, it's a tool to help streamline what you do and you can still customize it as a coach as well. Oh, well, I was just saying that because I didn't want you to feel like entirely replaced. But if you're happy for that, then yeah, you're entirely replaced. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate uh, joining us on Coaches Corner and giving a little bit of an insight, not only into what happened in long course and short course over the weekend, but also how age groupers can do it a little bit better. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Always great to be here. Thanks, Will. That was Coach's Corner, and now we move on to yet another doyen, I suppose, in the world of triathlon. Uh, well, he was when he was the fastest, and now he's the second <laughs> fastest. Shameful silver, Tim Don, live uh, and direct from the US, So, which is why we're doing it a little bit differently, so we didn't make you have to get up in the middle of the night. Whereas I believe you're sitting... You're very close to specialized HQ and doing stuff with the Zwift Academy, am I correct? That's right. I am sat in the cafeteria at half seven at night in specialized um, HQ. We've just had a Zwift race with all the academy athletes who are going to be racing the Kona World Champs. Um, so, yeah, no, th things are good. Lots of travel. Um, but, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Now, you're obviously there because you've come direct from Utah where you're also working with, uh, with Zwift Academy. But... You got the chance to be on the ground there, to see a world championships outside of Hawaii, to see the first one in a, in a good couple of years that we've all been living through. What were your impressions overall uh, about Utah? It's, it was a tough course, and it was a it, from the outside, it was a great race. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've raced there myself the seventy point three three times, um, and St George get behind it. Um, it, it is a it is an, a pain, the split transition being so far apart, but they do logistically, they do a great thing. Everyone's in the same boat. Everyone gets the yellow buses to the start, but no, they put on a great race and um, yeah, the athletes turned up and the ones that did start, they really put on a show and, you know, both the women's and men's race had everything. They had the, the comeback story, you know, you had the, 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 the guy who said he was going to win, win. Um, and it was, a, it was an, I mean, it was 15% humidity it was it was in the low 30s and it was dry like the road like you, I, I don't think you could crack an egg on it but you almost could crack an egg on the road uh, I mean and we're talking obviously we've been talking arena games and how hot and humid that was it's it's yeah. it's dangerous in another way that dry heat because you kind of don't realize how much fluid you're losing I suppose because it just dries on your skin so was that and, and how people manage that from your perspective was that something that played into the factors of how this race went? Absolutely. I think on the bike, you know, especially it was quite cold. I mean, the water was only 17 degrees and it was fresh for the first couple of hours. And if you raced as if it was going to be that temperature, you were probably putting yourself on the back foot with your hydration strategy. So without a doubt, that played a key part. And you could see the times, you know, I, I mean, everyone ran and rode, you know, fast, but they, they, they did drop off towards the end. And I think people were, people had come out a, a few weeks early and some of them had already trained in, in dry, but that dry heat, it's deceptive because, you know, when it's not that hot and you're on the bike, you're not, you're not like beading up, you're not really sweating, but you are, it's just evaporating because there's just no moisture. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think people did come a cropper to that, um, especially the second half of the run. 
Let's talk about the the women first, and obviously, you know, the Queen is back after people had some people had thought, you know, we're going to see more of Daniela Reef at her very best. That's exactly what we saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, her race was fantastic. We, we know she'd improved her swim over the winter. She was training with some of the Swiss Olympic long course open water swimmers. Um, she had a great swim in Dubai, swimming with Laura Phillips very comfortably. And then she kind of, she didn't, there was no bike split that we were getting where she, she like rode massively quicker. It was kind of like whenever we came to a bike split, it was another 20 seconds, another 20 seconds, 40 seconds. She was just going about her business like she normally did. Um, she came off the bike. Um, I saw her, I was out on the run course and I was given a split. So I was given all the women's splits. Um, and she wasn't, she wasn't supremely confident. She was still running scared and worried. You know, she's, you could tell she, 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 um, after one and a half laps of the bike, I think she wanted more. She really pushed that snow Canyon climb. She rode it. I think she didn't drop off as much as the other women, but yeah, with, with about, uh, just about 18 kilometers to go, she was asking for Arna Hag's run speed. So I'm looking at my phone going, you know, she's like 12 minutes down and she's going, what's her mile pace. So she was not being complacent, but I think in the end of the day, when she looks back, you know, that's a, it's a sigh of relief. You know, she's changed the coaches, which, which we all know. Um, you know, she's had a rough year, you know, her last Kona 2019, she really didn't have a great race. Um, from what she says, the vaccines didn't agree with her. Um, so to do that and, you know, take home the first world title for her, you know, five, I mean, five world titles. Yeah. I've only got four. I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, that is the worst humble brag I have ever heard. Oh my God. I don't know what you're that's talking just, about. That's disgusting <laughs> behavior. In fact, she actually has 11 world titles if you want to add so the 570.3 wins. Well, I've got I've got five if I take my Super Eagles win as well, you know? <laughs> which, you, which you shouldn't and can't. But, oh, um, she has an under-23 world title, 570.3 world championships, and five Ironman world titles. So back in your box, Don. Oh, I'm right. still... No. I, I, I'm more than happy to beat. She can stand on my box. She can lock it and throw away the key. You know, like <laughs> I, was so, I was so happy for her. You know, you could see she's not an emotional person. And when she crossed that line, you know, that five, you know, I think she was really, um, you know, she really wanted to go, I am here. Come on, Lucy, are you watching this? Let's be honest, because that's what we all wanted to see. I just hope Lucy's ready um, and healthy 100% um, for Kona later in the year. Yeah, we all do. Uh, that will be a classic race. And we're going to throw in Cat Matthews into this mix because, you know, as we talk about someone like Daniela Reef with a huge legacy, we're also talking about someone who finishes second in her fifth ever Ironman distance race and who was only trying to qualify for Kona three years ago. Like, what? what it's quite scary, the, the rise of Cat Matthews and how much more blue sky there is for her in the future. Yeah, you know, I got slated. I did. Um, I, someone quoted me, and I did say it that three months ago, no one would have said she was one of the favourites, and everyone goes, "Oh, Tim doesn't know anything." And I was, I said, I said that that's not me. I said most other people would not have known that she was that much. I rode with her. Um, her husband's best mate is one of my good mates, and I've ridden with them like two years ago and one year ago. I've, um, you know, she. It, it is amazing how quickly she's risen up and, and she doesn't, I'm not saying she doesn't have a weapon, but you know, she's just, she's just a good swimmer, an amazing biker, an amazing runner. And, and that I think now you can't just have one weapon and then two disciplines, which are good. And she's got two, which are very good, but her swimming is improving. And I think she brings that army mentality where things don't phase her. I think she knew it was going to be a long, hard day. She looked 
And I'd, she looked miserable on the first lap of the run. And I don't mean her form, I mean her face. And then her husband stopped and he chatted to me and he goes, I'm not enjoying this. She's not happy. She's tired. She's fatigued. And I'm like, yeah, maybe she shouldn't finish. And I was like, dude, she's second in the world. You know, let's see what happens. And, you know, I think that was one of her hardest for, you know, she really had to dig deep for that. And she was rewarded with a second place in, in, a, in a race that she'll look back on and take massive confidence. And I, I really hope she flew back to Europe and she she's building a, a great team. I think it's a mystery team at the moment. But um, yeah, I can see great things for her, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think I think we put up uh, on Phoenix socials uh, a clip of Kat, of you saying, I don't think maybe Kat's biting off more than she can chew to go sub eight. Yeah. And and then down the bottom, there's a at Cat Matthews, and then it's just a little sad face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's true. I mean, like seriously. Yeah. I mean that that this is big business. You know, like just because Christians won the world title doesn't mean he's going to win again. And you know, I, I'm just you know, I know how hard an Ironman it is. I know how hard it is to compete on that stage and two massive races. The emotional energy, especially the next race, is going to be such a unique format and a different. You know, riding in a not in a pack, but, you know, riding a pace line, swimming on someone's feet, having that unique pressure of hitting times. It doesn't matter who wins. They have to go a time. Then it matter who wins. So if they're off, off schedule and she wins, I'm not saying, you know, they're going to be disappointment. There's a lot of moving parts that come together. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think if she gets the, the, the British army behind her, you know, she can move. She can move mountains, take over continents. <laughs> it's been done before. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 maybe we shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> um, obviously, she she should take a lot of confidence, especially from that run where she ended up. You know, she obviously yeah. outrunning Annie Howe again, second time. Did it at Lanzarote yeah. as well. Um, you know, obviously flying high to see if she can turn it around for sub seven, sub eight. And speaking of that, obviously we've got to talk about Christian Blumenfeld who. Um, has just had the most insane nine months, you know, from Olympic champion to uh, Ironman world record to what else? So Ironman world champion. Uh, what was he? What else has he done? Um, Ironman world record. Ironman world champion. He won the grand final. Yeah, he won he the grand final. The, he came, came to the Super League, won all the heats, and died in the final. <laughs> That's right. He sprinted past everyone. <laughs> yeah. Why did he do that? <laughs> the, the helicopter shot. It was like, what the heck? What's he doing? It's like yeah. the final. Yeah, um, yeah, but what a man. You, know, you, said, you said what a nine months, but I'm telling you now, nine months and one day, he believed he could do what he's done. Not many other people could, and I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, I, and I didn't think anyone at the in the current day and age has the has the range to be an Olympic champion. Uh, you know, a world's fastest Ironman and then race an Ironman. It's different going fast like he did in Cozumel. It's a different style of racing to how he raced in St. George. Man, the, the kids, you know, he's got, a, he's got a system that's working for him. Um, yeah, and, and that's dangerous. It, it really, really is. What, what is that system and why can't lactate, anyone else... Lactate, lactate, lactate. Every session, lactate, lactate, lactate. <laughs> you lost a lot of blood from those. That's what I mean. Like, he came came at raceway because he lost so much blood from lactate. No, you know, I, I mean, I know the Norwegians are very open. You can see everything they do on Strava, but you know, I, I think I think it's it's how it's all put together. 
you know, it's the it's how long they're at altitude, the kind of work they're doing, when they're dropping down, the strength work. I think Dubai was a wake up call because he did go to Dubai and I know he got a puncher, but before then he lost a minute in the swim and that is his vulnerability at the level we're talking. But he did lose two minutes in the first 45k. And I think that was a good wake up call that it's not going to be plain sailing. I think he went back to the drawing board. They worked more on position and I don't mean getting error. I mean, actually doing the effort in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got such an engine and, you know, that's, that, 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 that's a weapon. And, you know, it's nutrition. It's the fourth discipline and touch words so far, you know, they've nailed it. So, you know, I, I mean, I, um, I think the, the week before he rode the course in four hours 30, which was only, I think, 16 minutes slower than he rode it on race day. So, um, you know, someone would not normally do that a couple of years. Crowey wouldn't have done that. Do you know what I mean? Macca wouldn't have, well, no, Macca definitely wouldn't have done that, you know? <laughs> but he, he's able to do that and back it up. He's like putting his whole faith in his coaching and scientific setup. So um, I'm really excited for, and if he tells me he's going to do something, I ain't going to argue with him. <laughs> no, I mean, that's true, right? And he's got, because he's got such faith in in what's going on behind the scenes with Olav, his coach and the sports science team, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, he believes Absolutely. in them, they believe in him, they deliver, he delivers, it gets stronger, he just keeps doing more. So it's interesting that, um, <laughs> who, who's Sorry. over your shoulder? Uh, it's Craig. Oh, <laughs> I've got Will classic. <laughs> oh, classic. The Zwift guys are trying to muscle in on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, sp- speaking of nutrition though, and because I love him and, and some people don't, but Lionel Sanders, is he figuring out life? Because after 2017 and then he went vegan and then he drank maple syrup for a year and done all sorts of silly stuff that I thought was a bit over the top. Is he, is he got it right now? I don't know. And I don't think he knows. I went to, he had a private press conference at a golf resort, which I snuck into. And he had a table with all his equipment that he's sponsored by. And he still had a big thing of maple syrup <laughs> on the table. Yeah, so it had like his helmet, his watch, his shoes, his bike, all of that jazz. So I don't know if he raced on it or not. It is I cannot deny or confirm he did, but he did have a, a litre of it. But I don't know because he's, he kind of, he changes his mind like he's going out of fashion. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and again, are the Norwegians going to see him as a real threat? Um, and they, are they going to pull back from working with him? Because I know Gustav's brother is, I don't know if coaching, advising. Um, but yeah, Lionel's racing again this weekend. Um, I know it's only a relay in Los Angeles. But, um, you know, I, I just hope he keeps on the path that he's on. Because, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, he had a great performance. I didn't look like it, especially on the run, let's be honest. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, Let's let's see. Let's. I think the future will hold um, what it will hold for Lionel. But if he doesn't change anything, I, I I think he's going to go well later in the year as well. And as he said, and I do agree with this, that is the best best back half marathon he's ever run. Um, so I hope he he sticks to that philosophy that 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 doesn't try and run the first half too hard, so he can e- execute that because the way he came over Braden Curry um, was just you know, phenomenal, like, like mentally, you know, he talks, he's the strongest guy, but, but actually physiologically as well, he had the energy to do that. Go make yeah, syrup. That comes off the back of, you know, a few walks, you know, everyone's walked at some point, I guess, when you talk yeah. to professional athletes, but uh, Ironman athletes, but he's had a few in a row. So yeah. uh, let's hope off a 242 marathon, he can, he can deliver on his long held promise, uh, which would be good, I think for everyone in the yeah. sport. I just, I think he's awesome. Um, but a lot of people, 
Maybe not. But anyway, he's like uh, he's like Marmite, you know. What's that? <laughs> you either love he's like Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. <laughs> That's exactly right. Are you like? And for, by the way, it's Vegemite, mate. But do, do you? Sorry, love it breaking up again. It's Marmite. No, I can't stand it. My sister loved it. And she'd put it on a toast and put it under my nose when I was a kid. Oh, oh no, mate, it's not my cup of tea. You have <laughs> Give to me get on it, like, jam. Yeah, all right, fair. But I, you got to get on it when you're one. Like you have, it's, if you've lost, <laughs> if, by the time you're three, it's a little bit like you know getting into triathlon. If you don't start by the time you're three, you're pretty much behind the eight ball. Vegemite triathlons. I, I, I totally agree with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else do I want to pull out? Uh, Ruth Assel was good. Real top five. I mean, she was in the Zwift Academy in 2018. And for her to do that, I mean, what a progression. Fifth in the world from winning Kona as an amateur. And then two years before that, from working like 402 hours a week, you know, and doing triathlon as a hobby. It's just brilliant. And again, she's working on a weakness, but she's not letting her strength go. She's really powerful on the bike, really aerodynamic. She's back in that run. She's getting fitter and fitter and stronger. Yet her swim is really, really coming good. Um, so, yeah, no, I was really impressed with that. And again, you know, these are honest, honest races. I, here's, here's a little reveal for you, mate. And nobody knows this yet, but we'll, we'll say it on the podcast. Uh, Ruth is going to be one of Kat's pacemakers. Oh, that's not good. Cool. Why is that? Well... Because she's so aerodynamic, and that she's, no one's going to get any draft behind. <laughs> no, that's brilliant, and I think I think that's a good sign because I think Cat Cat enjoys positive energy, and they are really good friends. And I just think their camp's going to be so different to Nicola's camp, and and mm. that that that's a really good thing. But um, yeah, I hope she's not as aero <laughs> because she is like a like I've been in the wind tunnel with her, and she really works on her position so much. Um, oh, I like that. That's that's a good tip. Very good. Well, yeah, sure. Well, she's going to be one of uh, probably yeah. seven bike pacemakers. So, uh, so India Lee, be... I reckon she's going to be in there. I um, I can confirm that that is correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I see. That's oh, a we're good getting team. a few tidbits now. Yeah. <laughs> let me think. Yeah, there's a few other people I think might jump. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. No, no. I just hope they come together. I know. Um, yeah, I know Matt. Uh, I know Christian's got a camp. I think on. Sunday they're flying out to a camp somewhere. So, yeah, we'll see. It's on. Now, anyone else you want to pull out uh, from your Ironman experiences? I thought Cam Worth was ridiculous because he just is the way he does things. Uh, is there anyone else who you, who you or, or any impressions from Utah before we wrap up this segment of the podcast that you'd like yeah. to throw at us? You know, three weeks from the Cobble Classic to, to you know, controlling that pack and really driving it forward was brilliant. Um, you know, I, I thought, um, I felt really sorry for Andre Dreets. He's been racing really well. He had a big, bad puncher, um, earlier in the year when he was in great shape. And then, yeah, he had a crash, a motorbike stopped in front of him and he snapped his frame and that was his race over. Um, so I thought he was on for a good one in the women's race. Um, it was really spread out and out the swim and that was without Lucy. So I think Lucy would have looked at that and thought, you know what, Daniela would have, would have, that would have been a great, great battle. You know, I've got to mention the people who didn't start. Am I allowed to do that? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, I was gutted. I mean, you know, the word on the street was I was in great shape. Gustav was one millimole, 1.2 millimoles above or below Gustav. They would have really impacted. I think there would have been more firepower. So maybe um, Cam Worth wouldn't have dragged that pack up as to the front. Alistair would have really been driving that. And I think Gustav would have made that lead group as well. And he knows what shape Christian's in. 
Um, but yeah, it was a great race. And there's, there's, there's so many people that had good races. You know, how many four Brits, four British women in the top eight, top nine? That's, that's phenomenal. It's the same you know, at world triathlon level. They'll go, yeah. you know, like, Vicky, I speak to Vicky Holland the other day. She's like, remember this race last year where I was, that's, she's, that's when she just kind of decided to retire. She's like, I was 10th and I was 6th Brit. Yeah, no. I, like, I mean, oh. it's it's good, but it's bad if you're one of those Brits because even if you're the best Brit, you've got someone chomping up, chomping up your, your, your you know, on your on your heels. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's great. And I thought, you know, we had what uh, we had a Norwegian, a Canadian, and a, and a and a Kiwi. So we had you know three continents. You know, we had a we had a more of a European flavor on the women, but you know, it's coming from all angles. It doesn't you know? I know Kiwi had big lockdown, but Braden came. He went to cedar rapids he was there for i think three and a half four weeks before with um with a, one of the age groupers who i think he won the age group overall they had a great training camp so yeah that, that, that he hasn't had much international top level racing he didn't do any of the collins cup stuff so fair play great great racing oh before i let you go that reminds me uh we're actually recording this it's a bit all over the shop but we're recording this bit before the men's race at Yokohama and it reminded me to ask you who you think's going to win so that when people listen to this later at the start of next week they can see whether you prove right or not because I know Hayden Wild has just was went on a couple of weeks training camp with Braden Curry before before the yeah, um, before I met the champ so who do you think I think I think it's a wetsuit swim um, it was a, uh, so if it is a wetsuit swim, I think Hayden and Alex all the way and I don't think Alex is going to be able to do what he did at Leeds um, but then Martin Van Riel, he's a funny one because he had such a great 70.3. Um, I want to see him up there, but I think yeah, he's got a new bike. He's very flash and bright and he loves, he loves racing in Asia. So I'd like to see him go well, but I think Alex and Hayden, I'm going to have to go Alex, you know, cause he's my Eagle and yeah, Hayden's the Falcon and then, um, uh, yeah, uh, Van Riel for third spot. Three arena games, athletes, all of whom competed, uh, uh, with varying levels of success, I suppose. But I want to throw Vasco Martin. in there as well because he's got oh, a new and Vince. Vasco. Oh. oh, it's a lot, isn't it? Vasco, if Vasco, Vasco, oh, he's changed. Ah, oh, no, I'm going to stick with those three. I can give you a top five, mate. We could put Vasco and Vince at fourth and fifth. That's fine. <laughs> I've done it. Um, all Super League athletes, all the well, the top three Arena Games athletes are all competed in Singapore, and obviously the Falcon taking it out and doing it. To be fair, pretty easy. It looked easier. Proper than, class. Yeah, class. he is yeah. class. He really, really is. Uh, TD, thank you very much. I don't, I, I'm sure there's a lot of banging going on in the background there, so I'm sure they're packing up the buffet or whatever they're doing. Yeah, they're there. moving all the bikes out, and we've just ordered Thai food, and then we're going to watch the men's race in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it, I would like to be on this camp one day if you can arrange oh, that. There's lots of Madella as well being consumed. Ooh, it's very good, good. for you. By you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. All right, we love thanks, Tim. And there. that wraps up the Short Shoot Show. It's been a bit uh, hodgepodge, but we've managed to get a lot of uh, voices in and cover a lot of topics. So we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, stay on SuperLeagueTriathlon.com for more as we now continue our build-up to the championship season, which isn't too far away. Thanks, TD.